Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Imogen Chu, reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Ian Cornwall, Director of Regulation at PIMFA, and Tim Harvey, an advisor at HR Independent Financial Services. Welcome to you both. Thank you for joining us. The Financial Services Compensation Scheme levy has been a hot topic over the past few months. In January, advisors found out they were expected to pay £213 million towards the compensation scheme for the coming year, almost 13% more than the previous year. The scheme said the increase was down to a rise in the number of self-invested personal pension claims and the level of complexity of such claims. The hike has prompted a number of advisers to write to their MPs to challenge the way the scheme is funded and the FSCS has now been contacted by at least one politician, challenging the structure and the burden falling on advisers. But are there other feasible alternatives to the current structure and how would they affect advisers? So, Ian, starting with our current structure, why do you think the FSCS bill is continually rising? OK, I just want to pick up the point you mentioned, first of all, about the politician contacting the FSCS about the uh, fairness of the fund. That's a common problem we have, that people don't understand that the uh, the model funding is set by FCA, not by FSCS. And um, it's very important to recognise the difference between the role of FSCS and the role of FCA. So FCA are responsible for determining, if you like, how the cake is cut, not FSCS. Their role is to make sure that they levy in accordance with the, the statutory obligations. In terms of why the, 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 the fund claims are so high, um, it's not a new thing. Year-on-year on claims, particularly against life and pensions intermediaries, uh, has been high for some time. And this year, for the first time, we also had major claims on investment provision class. Um, their rise has gone up by 43%, and that would cover um, primarily as a result of SIP operators not doing their due diligence on, on, on um, financial instruments they're allowing into the SIP, which is in partly related to the, the wider SIP issue that's giving rise to claims on the intermediaries. I think in terms of the debate, the issue is essentially um, the deal as I see it is that if you've got a compensation scheme, part of the deal is we have effective supervisory regime. And I has to be, it has to be said that the feedback we're getting from firms is that they are questioning whether or not we're picking up the failings of FCA's um, uh, inability to deliver effective supervisory regime. Tim, do you have any thoughts on this? Why do you think the bill is, is continuing to rise? Lazy supervision, quite candidly. Um, call it simplistic, but um, one just needs to follow the money. And um, there's been a lot of money going um, into the, the, the SIP side of things. D, so mix uh, DB transfer, um, uh, mix that into SIP, and then unregulated investments, uh, and the vast sums of money that have been going down that route. And um, I'm, I'm just shocked that uh, there hasn't been a far more, quite frankly, intrusive and invasive um, supervision in those areas. Uh, that would have stopped it relatively quickly, I believe. Um, so one alternative to the existing structure, um, as you say, Ian, set by the FCA, um, often touted is a product levy. How would this work in practice, do you think, Ian, and do you think it's a realistic option? I think it's, a very, I think it's something to consider, but I think it's a, a difficult op- option. Um, it's worth saying that the model funding review is reviewed every four years and the next one's two years away. Look... Product levy was looked at before, but I mean, if you look at, for example, how do you levy a product on an unregulated collective? Um, by the very nature, the product providers aren't going to pay it, so you're going to rely on, 
on firms themselves, essentially, presumably, funding that levy. If you go back to some of the issues arising out of SIPs, where um, people have been put into unregulated collectives, um, some of the enforcement actions suggest that some of those firms were, were not particularly um, conversant with any of their regulatory obligations. So you'd need to work out, A, how you set it, and B, how you'd actually police it. Uh, another problem is also is that regulated levy, um, uh, uh, a product levy, um, Of, of the conversation class of firms that don't actually buy products. So wealth managers typically may have um, a far higher proportion of their portfolio in direct equities, um, equally execution. Only brokers who are in the same intermediaries class will point out that they pick up the tab for suitability and they, uh, and they, and they don't even provide advice. So there's a lot... So the, so it's, it's a, you can't, you've got to look at the modelling across mm. all, all the firms that are within each, each of the conversation classes. What do you think, Tim? Um, I, I, I think there are a lot of issues uh, with the product levy, but I'm, I'm um, uh, probably more positive about the use of one. My starting point um, is actually to have a, a very, very low cost um, proposal, um, and that is that um, on the key features documents of products, there's a, a, a badge which is covered by the FSCS BAT, let's say, or covered by. Now, um, whilst um, I can foresee that that would um, also create issues, what it would do is, uh, I would like to think, focus uh, prospective purchasers of products, focus their minds on uh, the importance of the FSCS and, and why it's crucial. So that, that's a sort of zero uh, cost or very, very small cost. cost. Moving on from that, um, I quite, I'm quite quite attracted to the idea that people would have an explicit charge on a key features document, which would say a proportion of your investment, whatever that might be, um, each and every year is used to pay for um, the FSCS. Um, now, I can see that there would be pushback from certain quarters, but I'm, I'm, I'm really sort of slightly more positive uh, about using that as a tool. Mm, sure. Ian, do you have any thoughts on Tim's suggestion? Well, I think we should pursue a product level as an... Um as, as a concept, um, I think there are a number of issues. Firstly, it requires changes in legislation, possibly, because you're pre-funding the fund, which isn't permitted at the moment. And secondly, the legislation is designed that firms pay, not consumers. Um, and I've, So therefore, I think in terms of what we come up with, we need to be very clear what legislative change we're seeking. And in the political environment at the moment, what messaging we're going to put out to, to, to achieve that. Uh, secondly, we are we are in an environment where, uh, with Brexit and so on, in the next two to three years, I think trying to get these issues on a legislative timetable is going to be a major challenge. Mm. So I see it see it as a medium term um, campaign rather than a, uh, the ability to get a short term win in terms of a legislation. But even if it's a medium term campaign, we need we need to have a clear mess clear messages of how we actually uh, what messages we're giving to government in terms of uh, seeking the desired outcome. I wholeheartedly agree with you there. I, I don't see that there's the political appetite um, at all at the moment uh, for, for actually changing where the money is perceived uh, to come from. Sure. So we all know that ultimately it must come from consumers' fees because, well, I, c I could not recharge my FSCS bill, but, but of course I'd go bankrupt at some mm. point. Um, and that, that's why, as a sort of first step, the idea that uh, key features documents would have 
um, uh, backed by the FSCS or the FSCS badge on it um, would, would, to my mind, be a good starting point because if you were um, a potential client and you had two documents in front of you, one had that badge on it and the other one didn't, then um, I think that would raise questions with your advisor. Now, clearly, the um, uh, coverage uh, would, 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 would still exist because it's the advice that's regulated. But if that, that option was put in front of me, I would be very much asking uh, my advisor why this one had this, this badge on it and, and this one didn't. Mm. Well, one of the areas we don't know at the moment is how much um, activity there actually now is in unregulated investments. Um, FCA is meant to, well, they are collecting data. And they said that they would give an update um, towards the end of 2019, but I'm not sure they have yet. I suspect some of the rule changes that the level of activity in unregulated um, investments has actually fallen quite significantly. But I don't know because FCA has not yet released the data. So, mm. And it, what we're trying to do is work out a model that actually is going to identify risk and future risk. And, and, and that's really tricky. Mm. And if, if you've got a position where basically you're spending a lot of time on a product levy and, and there's very little now activity in unregulated collectives, um, it's you're still going to have to, presumably, a product level is still going to have to be funded from what I would term mainstream products. The, the, the other area also is how do you actually set the levy in respect to mainstream products? Are you actually trying to risk rate individual uses, for example? Who would do, I, I suspect not. Who would do it? How do you keep that risk rating up to date? It's all fairly tricky. And you have issues such as, for example, um, suitability um, assessed by reference to the composition of the portfolio as a whole. So it's the portfolio as a whole risk profile, not the individual components. You have issues around the fact that a lot of claims arise from financial promotions. So if you look at London Capital Finance, who were um, the recent announcement and claims there, as a result, as a regulated firms without advisory permissions, they were deemed to be giving advice. And that's why claims have hit FSCS. So product levy needs to be very carefully considered and I think everybody needs to be clear about um, what it will what, what, what issues it will address and what issues it won't address and, and there is certainly the case in my view for sort of looking at uh, the whole area of financial promotions um, I think that there's a world of difference between having a, um, uh, an ultra high risk um, conventional collective and, uh, and, 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 a, and a very low one I think I think it would be um, spectacularly complicated to, um, uh, to to try and determine whether one was, was was more expensive in terms of the levy or another one. Nevertheless, we can see that, broadly speaking, the number of complaints for um, collectives and ISAs um, is relatively low, but it's when you, you start um, moving into more esoteric areas that the cost and the claims uh, occur. And um, if, we, if we look at my business, in the main, we just do boring stuff. Um, the, the likelihood of me having a claim uh, for uh, an ISA portfolio is, quite frankly, very, very low indeed. Mm. Whereas if I was investing or encouraging my clients to invest in, uh, I'm reluctant to use any examples here, uh, but in, in something very esoteric uh, and non-mainstream, then that would, um, the likelihood of, of, of uh, a different sort of risk I, I agree with him on that. Both, both wealth managers and financial planners buy quality um, products and, and, and financial instruments. Um, and 
quite rightly, they're very aggrieved that they pick up the tab for people who, who, who's basically not only standard behaviour, but also the sort of in, in investments they're putting on. But then, frankly, in their certain instances, they're borderline fraud, I think, in some of the, some of the mm. stories that are coming out of FSCS. And, and, and the vast majority of, uh, of financial advisors um, won't and never have touched them with a barge pole, which is one of the reasons why they're so aggrieved about having to pick up the tab. One of the concerns I do have is, it, it, it concerns I have, though, and why I mentioned back to data, is whether we're spending a lot of time trying to address an issue that's no longer an issue, and are we now dealing, if you like, there's a lag between when things go wrong and, and FSES picking up the tab. And, and what I'm uncertain at the moment is um, the extent to which, if you like, business done here and now and unregulated collect is really an issue, and that's why we need hard data. The, the point that Tim made about the lack of affinity is a real issue. I mean, basically, one of the design principles of FCS is meant to be affinity. So effectively, you're, you're, you're picking up the tab of failures with, with firms doing broadly the same sort of business as you are. That's gone out the window, and it went out the window probably eight years ago, simply because you also need to have um, compensation class that are sufficiently viable to pay claims, and that's overridden the design feature of affinity. Tim, do you think the... The criticism often touted by advisors that the good guys pay for the bad guys when it comes to the FSCS levy is a fair one. Absolutely. Um, we're, uh, I'm going to use the, the expression again, boringly profitable here. We, we don't do racy stuff. And explaining to my clients why ultimately they should bear the, uh, the cost of uh, somebody taking ultra-high risk and being um, bamboozled with promises of very, very high rates of return... Quite frankly, they're angry and so am I. Why should I pick up that tab? And I'm, I'm looking at my um, FSCS bill um, uh, for this last year and um, it's two and a half times the cost or the direct cost of my regulatory uh, fees. Now, I happen to think that my um, financial conduct authority fees are actually pretty good value for money. However, I'm spitting blood and feathers on behalf of my clients and myself mm. at the fact that we're all having to bail out idiots who invest in, in high-risk stuff. And we're seeing, needs to stop. And there's a wider, there's a wider inference in terms of uh, consumers. So um, you're seeing not just FSES, you're seeing PI going through the roof and, and afraid, and firms finding it hard to get cover. And you're having a situation where, you know, in terms of the government objectives and um, in closing the advice gap, the advice guys' wide, uh, gaps widening. The barriers to entry is a lot higher, not just in terms of having to find PII if you can as a new entrant and fund it, but you also have to budget for large hits on FSCS. Um, so a lot of the... Uh, and and it, it erodes consumer confidence. The, you know, the consumer... Consume, and every headline about a firm going bust erodes consumer confidence and consumers very much need the advice services that financial advisors offer. They probably need it more than ever. So, that, so the consequence of the government in terms of their own um, objectives on FSCS is actually one which they, that they need to, to recognise. Ian, when the levy was raised um, in January, Pimpfer actually called on the city watchdog to cut carefully consider whether its regime was fit for purpose. Um, yeah. We kind of touched on it at the beginning, but yeah. but do, do you think the FCA needs to take more responsibility for the levy each time it rises? Well, I think when the, le when, when the compensation scheme was set up, I think the understanding was that effectively it's based on the fact we'd have an effective supervisory regime. For, for, for firms recognise that any regulator is going to make mistakes from time to time, and that unfortunately is going to hit on FSES. 
But the year-on-year high-level of claims um, does call into question the effectiveness of FCA supervision. If you look at some of the uh, feedback from things like the Complaints Commission, you look at the inquiry for LCF, and then if you also look at the feedback from firms' own day-to-day experience and engagement with FCA, I think the feedback we're getting is that um, they're certainly questioning whether FCA is um, operational an effective supervisory regime. The two go hand-in-hand. Hand. We don't advocate a no-default regime. Management for any firm will time to time do something stupid and it wouldn't be cost-effective to have a supervisory regime that, that would try to have a no-default. But equally... Um, when the, the concept of the levy, I think, is that the compensation class is being breached, was a very un, will be a very unusual event. Well, that's almost become business as usual, and that's I don't think reflects how the, the political intent when the FSCS was originally set up. So I think FCA needs to be much clearer about um, how they look at their role in mitigating hits on FSCS. FSCS itself is a strategy and its new new um, strategy for the next four or five years actually has a prevent strategy where they are where they wish using their own experience to feed information back to mitigate future hits on on FSES. Um, there's not a lot of dis- not a lot, a lot of public recognition in our view uh, from FCA that, that, that mitigating hits on FSES should be a component of their supervisory regime. Mm. Tim, what do you, what do you think? Do you think the FCA needs to needs to take responsibility more on the, on the levy hike. Very much so. And at the moment, there's, apart from the uh, reputational damage, which uh, occurs when uh, somebody loses a lot of money, there's really very little motivation, um, if you wanted me to be really quite cruel. Uh, because, well, do you know what? It's, it's OPM. Other people's money is picking up the tab for their, um, their lack of effective supervision. Um, when I look at the um, amount of data that my small business has to provide uh, to the FCA, um, an awful lot of which, I, I'll be honest with you, I really struggle to see the relevance or, or, or the importance. Um, it, it, it really isn't difficult, or it should not be difficult, to work out from those regulatory returns where, where the big money is going and, and to nip in the bud um, those, those big issues. Um, that we've seen uh, costing everybody so much money. Ian, you touched on it, but um, the FSCS is working at the moment in kind of a working partnership group with the FCA, um, with some other regulators as well, uh, particularly on phoenixing in kind of a bid to yeah. um, to prevent bad outcomes. I think that's the FSCS looks at its remit of influences and thinks the only way that we can... Um, help kind of lower the levy is by reducing these bad outcomes. And I think so far it's been kind of quite successful. I think there's been maybe 19 firms that have been stopped from phoenixing. FCS is doing a really good job. They're really, they are putting a lot of weight behind the prevent component of their strategy. They're engaging um, with trade bodies and representative firms on a regular cycle to um, get insights and intelligence. They've got a whole series of regular meetings they, they and the board take their prevent component of the strategy very clearly. And I know they're doing, they are doing a lot of analysis work, which they're feeding through to FCA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we believe that there's wider um, discussions now, if you like, amongst the rugby family, FOS, FSES and FCA. What we'd like to see is a similar um, 
strategy objective within FCA to mitigate hits on FSCS? You know, what are, if we're shelling out all this money year on year, um, why are there no lessons learned? What are the public lessons learned, both in terms of FCA's supervisory process? What about the industry? The industry is very keen to know if there's any actions they can take to mitigate hits on FSCS. So we've got all these failures happening, which we're shelling out vast amounts of money. But there's a perception that there's no sort of, in, no sort of lessons learned um, activity going on behind that, which is unfortunate. Do you think that this work that the FSCS is doing alongside the FCA, do you think we'll see more of that within the regulatory framework, kind of more communication, more um, targeted approaches to prevent bad outcomes? I don't know. I think the jury is still out on FCA. I think they're, um, they're getting good intelligence. They have done improved their work on phoenixing. FCA might say the FSCS levy is a crude metric of the effectiveness of their supervisory regime, but it's certainly a major metric that all, all firms look at. And um, I think they need to think, and I think probably one of the areas they need to be is more transparent. You know, what are they doing with the resources they've got? How are they allocating them? To what extent is mitigating hits on FSCS something they worry about? Tim, do, do you agree? Do you think um, that the FCA can do more to work with the FSCS and to work in that remit to to lower the levy by preventing bad outcomes? I, I don't have the same um, insight there that uh, that Ian Ian does. Um, I, I have no no sense looking in that there is really um, a great deal of motivation um, by the uh, FCA or indeed the FSCS to chop those bills down. And the bills are only one side of uh, the equation. If we look at the other side, um, all of those uh, hundreds of millions of pounds that have been lost, there are anxious people who've, who've lost their life savings and after a period of time get them back in some size, shape or form. But that's, that's, that's really appalling PR uh, for the FCA. And, and I, I think the, the thing that really surprises me is bearing in mind how appallingly that reads across uh, the, uh, the newspapers. Um, there seems to be really not so much motivation to actually nip these things in the bud. And if, if there was more emphasis, and, and <laughs> one of the FCA's uh, pets, uh, pet loves, more transparency about what they were doing, perhaps we could have, um, as Ian uh, alluded to, uh, perhaps we could have more confidence that uh, there was uh, active uh, searching out of when these issues are going to arise and stopping mm. them very, very quickly indeed. Now, there is one more thing to be aware. If we actually think that FEA's supervisory um, regime should improve its effectiveness, of course, one of the things we need to be aware of, that could, in the short term, have a, a further knock-on effect to FSES because if they're actually getting better at catching the guys that we all want kicked out... Um, they're going to get default and they're going to hit FSES. The problem at the moment is the industry, um, they can't see any light in the tunnel. They don't even know whether they're in the tunnel. Hmm. Um, so so the, the, at the moment, they're just faced with what they see is year on year, really significant costs. So large, if you're a quoted company, one of the reasons now they actually release the FSES levies outside of market hours is it could be a stock exchange disclosure event. But I mean, my smallest firms, my small financial advisors up to my biggest um, quoted companies are all absolutely sick to the back teeth of shelling out vast amounts of sums year on year um, to, to, to fund levies with no sense that it's ever going to end. Ian, Tim, 
Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.